How's it going? I'm Xander Fryer, just another millennial corporate dropout turned entrepreneur. Since quitting my day job as an engineer just over four years ago, I built a multi-million dollar coaching business, mentoring seven-figure business owners, professional athletes, award-winning musicians, Hollywood actors, best-selling authors, and hundreds of aspiring entrepreneurs. I truly believe that when we couple the right knowledge with a strong desire for action, anything is possible. But most of us are never given the right knowledge, the shit you don't learn in college. The Sidlik Podcast shares interviews from the world's most successful people in business, finance, sports, health, and entertainment in order to help you live a life filled with more money, more meaning, and more freedom than you ever thought possible. Get ready to learn the shit you don't learn in college. How's it going, friends? Welcome back to another episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. I'm your host, Xander Fryer, and today we're going to be talking to Trevor G. Blake, New York Times bestseller and a physicist by background. He grew up extremely poor and bullied. Eventually, he tapped into the workings of energy, consciousness, and transformation, in particular, the science behind it all, and began creating through intentionality. Over the last 10 years, Trevor has created and successfully exited three separate companies for over $600 million dollars and he's never hired a single employee. That's mind-blowing to me. Now he's helping people tap into their practical magic and become real-world wizards, so let's get into it. In this episode, we're gonna talk about how plagiarism built him millions in wealth, but in a good way. We'll dig into the three simple steps to achieve more in life, why working five-hour days is actually better than working eight, and how to tap into your intuition to get better results faster. And don't forget, we only spread our message when you share this knowledge with others that need it, so if you enjoy this episode, please share it on your social and tag at Xander Fryer. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star rating so you don't miss any other great episodes. And for all of our shit you don't learn in college fans out there, if you've gotten any value from this podcast, don't forget to go to www.sidlickbook.com, S-Y-D-L-I-C, book.com, to grab your copy of the new number one bestseller, Shit You Don't Learn in College, the book, available now. Hey, hey, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. I'm your host, Xander Fryer, and today we've got my new friend, Trevor G. Blake, on the show. Trevor, welcome to the show. Thank you, Xander. I'm looking forward to it. I love Absolutely, the title man. of the show. <laughs> I'm, excited. I'm excited to have you. you got a, a great background. I think we're connected on a lot of different things. So uh, for everybody who doesn't know Trevor, I'd love for you to just give a, a little bit of a, a background on you, uh, your history, and how you became an entrepreneur, and obviously... Uh, you know, where you are now, having had three m multiple, well, nine-figure and even multiple nine-figure exits even. Um, and we'll dig into all those fun details, but I'd love for you to give a little bit of a background on that. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm, I come from the best place, which is poor. So I grew up really poor, so you can't get better <laughs> motivation than, than that yeah. to, to make something in life. Uh, my mother was given six months to live when I was seven, and, and my dad was unemployed and unemployable. Not a bad guy, just he gave up on life. And wow, so, yeah. you know, I had, I kind of grew up with the same mentality of lack as my dad had. And I'd seen in his dad, my grandfather, the same thing. I just didn't want that. So, so I kind of put out to the universe that I'd like a different life than that. And then the next thing I found was 
I was getting bullied because I was an English guy living in yeah. a place where the English weren't popular and weren't wanted anymore. So I used to hide in the library and I, would, I just started reading biographies and, and books on quantum oh, wow. physics and that completely changed my life. I can literally say what? that the books changed my life. And saved what my life. an amazing, yeah, what a lucky experience. Like, <laughs> totally, that's, I mean, totally adversity, that's, that's you know? Crazy. Yeah, and and it just led you to you know essentially consuming some some amazing knowledge that it, that I'm assuming shaped your future for the better. I you know I realized that all of these uh, heroes through time had had worse starts in life than I did, so I stopped feeling sorry for myself. That was a good yeah. that was a good learning thing, and then I just started copying their attitudes and ideas. I really didn't create anything in my life. I just kind of copied. You know the the the, the Fords yeah. and the, and and um, the world's the world's best plagiarist is what you're telling yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely. I relocate everyone's knowledge, and why not? I mean, we have these mirror neurons in our forehead that stops us yeah. having to go through the same experience. We can watch somebody go through it or read about them and copy them. And so yeah. and and so that's all I did basically. And I I introduced it into my life at a young age, and I've just stuck with that. That that became my first book, Three Simple Steps. It was these three kind of attitudes, these mentalities. And yeah. um, I just kept that what, going. What were the three, just to clarify? So it's really strong mentality. So mentality control, because I was getting bullied and I was, you know, yeah. I, I could have allowed that to make me feel uh, weak, you know, or, yeah. or kind of uh, unworthy in some way, but I used it as a strength. And, and then yeah. I was very blessed. My mother was very strong spiritually. She was, a, she was psychic and she was very connected intuitively. So I kind of followed her, her lead really. So she taught me intuition and that's kind of step two in my book. And, and then I decided to, to I, I learned from all of these amazing people like Madam CJ Walker that don't just set a goal, go to the, to the moon. Set, set yeah. a huge, if you're gonna put energy into changing your life, then really change it, go, go big, right? And uh, I mean, today we live in a, a, a get big fast world, but it wasn't quite the same back in the 70s. But, but I went big and, um, and every time I went big, it worked out for me. So I just kind of carried that through my life. I had a fast track career. Um, yeah. And then when I turned forty, I wanted to start my own company. So that's when I, you mentioned the three companies. So you you started you started in the corporate world for the most of it. Yeah, I, well, I started in the Royal Navy. Then then I fell in oh, love, yeah. so I left the Royal Navy and stalked my wife. Um, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, I had a fast track career. So so I worked in a hospital for a while. Then worked in the pharma pharmaceutical business. And the same steps that I've been using for my own businesses, I used in the fast track career. And yeah. and. Uh, and at some point, you just decide you don't want to work for the man anymore. At least I did. So, so I thought, yeah. you know, I had an idea. I wanted to fix something. And I, I always find that with my companies and, and certainly with other entrepreneurs that I meet, they don't necessarily start out to be a successful entrepreneur. They kind of find something they want to fix yep. and they figure it out. And, and that's yeah. what all the heroes in the biographies I, I learned in the library did. And so I just have done that. I found stuff that gets under my skin a little bit. And then if I can't find a solution, I'll fix it myself. And it becomes a company by default. And I become an entrepreneur by default. Oh, I, I love that. It, that's, it, you're, by the way, you're really speaking to my journey right now because I feel like I was never meant to be an entrepreneur. I just felt like there was a problem that I, I, I was like, I can't turn away from this anymore. I have to go do something. Um, and as you're talking about the biographies, I'm like, I'm remembering for me, it wasn't biographies. It was Disney movies. I was just, I loved watching Disney movies, but it was the same thing that was programming my mind. Like people would see some, something unjust and they, you know, the, the heroes would always go do something about it. Right. So I gotta, I gotta ask, do you think, do you think that we could do a better job at making sure kids get some sort of exposure to something like that at a younger age? Cause clearly it had a big impact on you. Yeah. And I was, I mean, you know, this is why I love the title of, of your podcast because because yeah. I also went to school and I also did an MBA and, and it really helped me in my career. 
my fast track yeah. career, but it was absolutely useless as an entrepreneur. It was, <laughs> I mean, I've, I can't think of one thing that's been of value to me that I, that I learned in a, in, a, in a university or in a classroom. So I tell, I always tell people you know, my, my engineering degree taught me how to open beer bottles with a, an iPhone, <laughs> taught me leverage. And that leverage is actually really important when you're building a business. You need to learn how to leverage your time properly. So. <laughs> no, say, for me, when I was in the Royal Navy, I, I, people say, you know, what was that like? And I say, well, I used to fight at the front. And they say, where? I said, to the front of the bar, because all I learned was how to drink, basically. <laughs> so I, I, I could drink and I could make cocktails. That's kind of my... That's, my contribution to the universe from a military career. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, so you end up leaving your career at 40 and you, and you start, uh, your business. What was your first business and, and what was that like when you were first getting up and running? It's still in business. It's called uh, qual medical, uh, it's short for quality of life. Um, QOL yeah. medical. Um, I had a big argument with my CEO at a company where I worked for in, in Minneapolis. And I, I, because we had a solution to a rare mm -hmm. disease that was sitting on the shelf, and I understood why he said, no, we can't put money behind this. We can't market this we, you know, because it will never make business out of it. But I felt there was a different way of doing it. And so after the, like the third argument that he and I had, we're still friends-ish, but after about the third <laughs> argument, um, I just decided to do it myself. So, so yeah. I, you know, the thing about, as you know, I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir here. We always try, I mean, we're kind of indoctrinated to try and figure it all out before we start, right? So, so in this case, I didn't have time to figure it out. I knew if I strike now, I'll be able to get the rights to that product because they needed the money, they needed the cash. Yeah. And so, so the right time, and I did that, and then I didn't know what I was doing, but I kind of figured out what I was doing. But someone said to me around about the same time, you know, you don't know what business you're in until you get in the business, just start and figure it out. So well, I started. I love that advice. And then I realized that the business I thought I was getting in, which was this rare disease, turned in a different direction. And, and so if I hadn't been in the business, I wouldn't have been exposed to the next opportunity that came along. I wouldn't have even yeah. known about it. But because I was in that business, you know, a physician came up to me and said, hey, have you seen this? Have you ever thought about, about bringing this, you know, making this an approved product? And, off, and, then, and the whole thing just sort of, um, roller-coastered from there, which is great. So I started, I started Qual Medical. Um, I was living in Florida at the time with about $200. And, and that $200 went to making an LLC. In the, this, yeah. is the, this is the days of dial-up internet, right? It took all day just to get an LLC. I was going to say, you, max, you maxed out your phone bill to make this <laughs> yeah. one happen. It took, I mean, the number of times that, that, that I was dropped and, you know, I was so frustrating just to do one thing. Um, but I sold that company, I think, six years later for 105.5 million. So it's a great success story. It did, it did all right. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, I think I could have done. I think I should have thought bigger. I was. I kind of limited myself, but I love that. But I. But then I used the same business model. I, so I put a business model together that was unique for its time. Right now, it's the right idea for this time. It's a hub model, and mm -hmm. um, I explain it all. I got a, a book called Secrets to a Successful Startup, which explains why this model is really important for where we are right now and how you can get big fast. But at the time, you know, it was brand new, and uh, and so I thought, well, that worked. I'll just do it again. And so I've yeah. just, I've, I did it again and then again, and I'm currently on companies um, five, six, and seven. Um, you know, it's this, just so this seems this seems to be kind of a theme through your life is like find the thing that works and and do that, right? It's like you you read the bio biographies and you're like that mentality works. Like why don't we do that? Yeah, why not do it? Yeah, this, <laughs> this the way that they make decisions or the process they go wait, that seemed to work. Why not do that? This business model worked. Why not do that? Right, and that's Is kind that... of been my approach to things. If it worked for all of these amazing people, why why would I be so arrogant as to think it couldn't work for me? Well, I think I think that. Tell me if you've noticed this. Obviously, you know, helping a lot of entrepreneurs. Have you noticed that a lot of people like 
maybe it's the ego or maybe it's the arrogance. They want it to be new and unique to them. Right. And so I think a lot of people avoid a lot of the clues that are shown in in biographies and, you know, from mentors and things like that, because they want it to be different. Yeah. And it's all this, it's 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 all the same stuff. I mean, whatever aspect of life you're in, whether you're in art or or music or whatever, it's the same as it is in business. I mean, yeah. again, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but for me, you know, the definition of magic is the conversion of one form of energy into another form of energy within the laws of nature under the power of will. And that sounds very simple. And I find the same thing with my writing, with my books and with my courses, but also with my, my businesses. Come up with a winning idea, convert that energy into its material form, and then just keep converting. And, and then eventually, you know, I like to exit my companies at a certain stage. Yeah. It's just a personal thing because I get bored so easily. So, so when, when yeah. the company gets to a certain size and a certain valuation, I typically exit and yeah. go and do it again. And it's fun. It's just like being a painter or a writer, you know, <laughs> write another book. <laughs> I love that, man. Did you have you always known that that's kind of your sweet spot? Did you try and take a company too big and you were just like, this is just not for me or? No, I don't think so. I think I think um, the company has become really successful and, and the, the profits are high. So like 76% yeah. net profits. And so they become attractive to all kinds of, of um, predators, <laughs> for want of a better word. And, um, and they want to do all kinds of stuff with it, which I just don't think is something I want to do. And, yeah, and so, they, so, so we come to an agreement. I mean, I'm still in touch with the people I've sold all my companies to. And then so, so we, uh, they take it to a different level and they do the one thing that I don't want to do. And that's hire a bunch of people. And I've yeah. never hired an employee. And yeah. I do that for deliberate reasons. I don't like work. So I, I, I've never worked more than five hours a day because I don't have employees. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so let's, it's just me. Let's, Let's let's go deeper into that because I think that was when I, you know, when I read up on you, that was one of the things that caught me very quickly was that you've built multiple nine-figure businesses and exited and you you live a very balanced lifestyle. You've uh you're happily married, you're uh live a 5-hour, you know, 5-hour work day is your thing. Uh unlike the pipe dream of 4-hour work week, at least you do a 5-hour work day. Um and you do all of this doing the things that really matter to you. And obviously, like for you, you're just like, I, I don't want employees. So tell me about like how you did that. Like, I, I got to know. <laughs> well, I, you know, it was pretty obvious for me. I didn't need to be a genius to figure it out because when I looked at my career, I looked yeah. back and I thought, you know, I've spent 75% of my time in a meeting room yeah. talking about how to keep employees happy. We didn't talk about the customer. We didn't talk about customer satisfaction. We didn't talk about product improvement or upgrades or anything like that. We talked about, you know, can they, are they allowed to take the day they didn't get into work yesterday as a snow day? That, that was like a whole day meeting, okay, with, with, a, with an executive team that was paid a fortune. It was just yeah. madness, corporate madness. And I realized that if I, if I don't bring that into my own business, you know, you're totally you're free then to focus on, on marketing and growth and, and, and all that. The stuff it, that really drives the innovation forward. The reason we've become entrepreneurs, that's what we want to yeah. get involved in. But I noticed that, you know, so I do coach and mentor a lot of entrepreneurs who were sort of indoctrinated in the, in, in the corporate madness. And so the first thing they do when they start is they hire a, a, a head of software manufacturing or, a, yeah. you know, a head of sales and marketing, a head of this, head of that. And the truth is you don't need, at the beginning, you don't need it's a, doing that is a bit like hiring a full-time handyman and having them live in the spare bedroom when you buy a house. Yeah. Just in case something goes wrong. Com and completely unnecessary. No, you just hire the handyman when something goes wrong. And so, 
I think in the early part of as an entrepreneur, I think that's a smarter way of starting a business because you because you need cash and that you keep that cash flow managed nicely by you know just having it. You need a little bit of confidence so you can get confidence through going to uh, you know seminars and where 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 the, the functional leaders are all together in one place and just listening and talking. And you know, I'm not saying that you can become an accountant just by following an accountant around, yeah. but you can understand the key issues of cash flow just by talking to accountants. You know, yeah. and so and you and you can understand the, you know, people think there's a great secret to sales and marketing. I I don't think there is. I've been a sales and marketing guy all my life. I think anyone can do it, but 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 sometimes people are intimidated by that aspect of their business because they've been in finance or somewhere else. And just by following some sales and marketing guys around, you can suddenly realize these people are making it up as they go along. <laughs> so so why not me? And and yeah, so you're I just, think, you're just you're just watching people doing what works and then doing some more of it. I think a little bit of that, and and um, I think it builds your self confidence a little bit to say, okay, right at the beginning, do I really need to hire a full time head of this function? X Y Z, yeah, yeah. And so and I and I just so I started out thinking, well, I won't hire straight away. I'll wait a little while, but then I ended up never hiring because I realized I can yeah. do it. I can do it. I, I can hire vendors and contractors who don't need to be supervised. Who who have a we work. You know, so I had to change. I had to change my management style from sort of supervisory control type of guy that I was in the corporate world to peer-to-peer -peer trust. So that was one yeah. thing. And I had to change here's, my negotiation. Here's what we need and let's just make sure that we have accountability to getting this done. Yeah, and then get out of their way. Let them get on with the job. I mean, that's, that's the best, that's the, that's the only talent I've got is to understand that I get out of everybody's way and let them <laughs> get, get out of the way. <laughs> That's it. That's it. I love that. So, so just from a from a five hour workday perspective, how is that? Just because you don't have employees, or how did you pull that off? Was there a no? Specific, specific it's a great, great question, and I, I, you know, uh, I realized when I started my first company that I, I was getting burned out really quickly because yeah. I was sat at the computer waiting for an email to come in, waiting yeah. for the phone to go, and convincing myself that I must be doing something wrong because it can't be this easy. You know, yeah. running a company can't be this simple. I suppose everyone told me I'm supposed to be working 24 hours a day, seven days. Like, I have to be doing something, right? Right, now. And, and so I realized, wow, you can get burned out. So I then started to study uh, neuroanatomy and peak brain performance science and stuff like that. And I realized that uh, so all the studies show that we can't really concentrate for more than two hours. So yeah. so you've got to build your day in into segments, and and you know you know like I do the best ideas you have don't come when you sat at your computer. They come when you're in the shower or when you're out walking in the woods. Those beautiful aha moments when you relax. Yeah. And so the, the key to that is that science shows that our brains are at their most creative when they're the most tired, which is opposite mm. of what a lot of people think. And, and so, if, so I build the day deliberately. So the five hours isn't just a new age, cool thing to do. It's, it's, by the way, this explains why most of my best ideas come at like 4.30 in the morning when I'm still a little bit, still a little bit delirious. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And, and uh, when you least expect them and then you think, why did I just spend two hours trying to figure that out when it's so obvious? <laughs> so, so I build the day like that. So I do two hour work period and then I'm gone for two hours. I'll just walk in the woods or, or, or you know, chill out or whatever. And then I, I do two hours in the afternoon and then one hour in the evening if I need to. And, yeah. and I find that I'm far more productive in that time than I ever was working in a regular career because all the studies show, you know, that in the corporate world, most employees don't work more than two hours and 50 minutes in a whole day. Yeah. The, re the rest of the time they're on the computer searching, they're trying to find a better job, they're, they're at the coffee pot, all those kind of things. <laughs> trying to find a better job. Yeah. <laughs> I see it all the time whenever I go into companies. Well, it's, you know, I, I think this is becoming a lot more apparent in the the new virtual world thanks to covid right because so many people 
you know, so many people are like working from home now and they're like, I, I'm, I'm working like twice as much as I ever did now that I'm working from home. Cause half my time was spent, you know, either commuting or in the coffee room or, yeah. or just hanging out, talking to people about, you know, the football game the night before, whatever it was. Right. So and, that's, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but when you're on your own as an entrepreneur, with without that social interaction you're going to get burned out pretty quickly so so that's why you need to that, so on my website um trevorgblake.com there's a free download i did because of covid because of this tsunami yeah. of people moving into into work from home with no training and no no one telling them what to do and yeah. it's called the practical magic of the five-hour workday and it's it's a lifesaver for most entrepreneurs it just shows you you know what nasa does with its pilots they structure their day just like this to keep brain performance or so as an entrepreneur you can just like again copy other people <laughs> and and you know do this kind of structure and and it the benefits the payoff is in, is incredible first of all you are at peak brain performance so you're going to be productive but secondly your family is going to thank you for the rest of your lives because you're, you're going to have a lot more time with them yeah because and and they're there's little tools and techniques like having separate devices for work and separate devices for home and stuff like that. But, but the, you know, they, they will be the happiest people around because you're not working 20 hours and you're not on your third marriage and, you know, the dogs do recognize you, you know? So, oh, so. that's embarrassing. <laughs> Let, actually, let's, let's talk about that for a second. So for everybody who's, who's listening, make sure you go to Trevor G. Blake, trevorgblake.com to get those. Cause there's more than just that download. There's some other stuff there. Um, but I'd love to hear any of the, you just dropped like casually some really amazing tips for obviously why you've been able to keep an amazing marriage. And I'd let like, you know, the, the two different phones idea, is there anything else that you think would just be really powerful for any starting entrepreneurs that they need to make sure to implement from the very beginning? I think you absolutely have to have separate space. A lot of people make the mistake yeah. of saying, well, I'll start from home and I'll work at the kitchen table. It's a disaster yeah. waiting to happen. So definitely you need a separate space where you get the mentality of closing the door mm -hmm. uh, and now I'm at work. And then everybody else around you knows that they're not to interrupt. Yeah. When you're working, you're working. And, and, it, and it takes a while for everybody to get on board with that. Um, you know, I have a lot, when I first started, I had a lot of people vacationing to, to our house and they thought I was really antisocial because I wouldn't come out and have coffee with them. But, it, but when you're working, you're working, you know, and so, yeah. so, so, so that's a really important thing. And I can, do, I, can I ask, this is a personal question on that one. I'd love, cause I've, I do work from home and I have my own separate office at home and it's kind of the same thing. Nobody really comes in if the door is closed. Do you find a difference in terms of like, uh, do you think that is enough to have your own separate office at home? Or do you think having something further, like literally that you have to drive to in the morning or something like that would be better? No, well, I've never done it because I like my home and I like my yeah. dogs. I like my dogs and I like them. So, so separate office at home is, is uh, Yeah, I mean, I mean, the furthest I've commuted is to the casita. So about 20 feet. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. We're on the same page here, Trevor. We're on the yeah, same page. Yeah, if you can do a casita type of thing in or a shed or something, then then that really does feel like. And, and you know, Lynn used to joke with me saying, you know, be careful on your commute now. You know, and, and a, <laughs> you know, it's like like a four second commute. Um, you never know what could happen in those four seconds. You never know. <laughs> I love that. That's great. So I I do have a, a question for you around. Um, you mentioned, as I was reading up on you, you mentioned that you've kind of always known you were a serial entrepreneur, even from a young age, you were, you were selling candy and, and things like that. I want you first, I'd love to hear the stories of you selling, selling candy and things like that. I'm always fascinated by, you know, what we do as kids at, that kind of shows some of our future. I used to sell flowers around the block. 
Um, I would go, I would, I would have my dad take me off into Anza Borrego and we go get lilacs, nice flowers that they didn't have here in San Diego. And I get buckets of them and I just tote them around on my little, uh, red trolley around the block and just sell them for, you know, five bucks a stem or something like that. That's uh, Cause they just don't have them here. Um, but I'd love to hear, you know, some stories around you there. And then also the question behind it is, do you think entrepreneurs are made or are entrepreneurs born? Um, I, I think we're made because, you know, I don't know a successful entrepreneur that set out to be a successful entrepreneur, yeah. but, they, but they are kind of fixers. You know, we're kind of troubleshooters. We love nothing more than to have some, something to, to figure out yeah. you know, and, and how, do, how can we make this happen? They, were, so they are fixers naturally. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's that, that's inside you, but the rest of, you know, we end up making it all. I mean, you know, Richard Branson didn't set out to be, you know, to have an airline company. Yeah. He had a problem. His problem was he had a girlfriend in the Caribbean and he was afraid she'd feel jilted when his flight was canceled. So we, he chartered a plane, sold all the seats. <laughs> his motivation had nothing to do with flying. It had to do with the more yeah. physical activity. <laughs> so, so he's going to his girlfriend on this Caribbean, Caribbean island. to solve a problem, right? Yeah. I think it's, I think it's the best motivation to be honest with you. Um, yeah. You know, so so th things like that. That's but I but I don't think everybody has that in them. I think that's just just the way we we're wired. I think just entrepreneurs are wired that way. Yeah. Um, so even you know, even going back to you selling candy as a kid, do you think that was just you know? The, yeah, because I because life? I yeah. I grew up poor, so I didn't have an allowance. Yeah. So I couldn't get candy, which probably yeah. was a good thing because I had good teeth when I was little. Um, but then, but so what I did was we were, had a school bus that went, and we were first to, first to get on and last to go off at night. It was a it was a real drag. So it's about an hour and fifteen trip from school back to our village where we lived. And along the way, they stopped to pick up the daily shoppers, and there was a candy store there. And no one wanted yeah. to get off to get candy because they were afraid of missing the bus because the bus driver was not a very pleasant person, and he would have driven off. So I figured out I took orders on the way to the candy store. And then as the, as the pensioners were getting on the bus and paying their little fee to, for, the, for the, the ride, I would run into the store, I'd put this order in. They got used to me after a while, so they all, all had it lined up, you know. And, and then I'd come <laughs> back in with candy, and my payment was in candy. So I gave, oh so, so I gave, I gave everybody their bags of candy. So it's almost like you were solving two problems there. You were getting yourself some candy and you were making an hour and 15 ride a lot more entertaining. Yeah, but it's not very smart to eat your profits. <laughs> <laughs> so I learned that too. Don't don't eat the profit. Learn learn a lot of lessons as a kid and and, and entrepreneurship. That's too good. Um, you've you've mentioned you know you've mentioned a lot about you know you you've been uh, successful financially and built some freedom there. But you know one of the things that I appreciate about you a lot is is it sounds like one of the things that you appreciate more than money is you know time and relationships. Would you say that's true? Or is there anything else that you think is more important than money? No, I, it, it's true. I mean, balance, success with balance is, is my kind of mantra. That's where that's yeah. where making a positive difference in people's lives. So, you know, you mm. want your company to be impactful in some way. At least I do. Um, yeah. Uh, not just a meat, uh, you know, preferably not selling snake oil and stuff that's not right, good for the world. Right, and that's, that's kind of why I got in the self help business too, because because yeah. so many of the self help books are written by people who've never actually achieved anything in life. Yeah. But the book caught on for some reason, and and there's although the information is probably good, there's always like kind of hint of inauthenticity. So that's why I, that's why I got into writing three simple steps and secrets to a successful startup. I wanted it to be by someone who's done something, so you'd have some confidence in it, right? So okay, I'll use these tools and techniques because that guy did it, and look what happened to him. Which is exactly what my attitude was with the biographies. You know, yeah. I'll do that because look what happened to that guy. It's, you know. it's funny you bring that up because there really is, there is a, in my opinion, there's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? Knowledge is, 
you know, there's theories and, and, uh, you know, an understanding, but wisdom is lived, right? You have to, you have to have been through a lot of, this is one of the reasons I love biographies as well. It's because, you know, if you study anybody who's been successful, you're going to find some, uh, I think you called it like, like laws of nature, right? So like truths that you, you can't really get away from, right? I, so I'd love to ask you, what do you know, what would you say are some of the laws of nature that you've noticed from either living this experience well, or from biographies or? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, no, I was so I've been blessed in my life to to be surrounded by really powerful women. So so strong yeah. spirits and and uh, really really intuitive. My you know my wife's uh, clair clairaudient clairvoyant. Um, yeah, my mother was very psychic. So 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 I saw how at times they just knew something. They would just say, "I just yeah. know." And they'd be completely right all the time. And I wanted and, and that. I, the I, intellect I will fight it. it. The intellect will fight it every step of the way if you let it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, so I, I learned with them to, you know, to, to get into nature, to connect mm. with nature, to trust nature, let nature teach. They taught, they, they taught, they teach me these things. So they say, let nature teach. And, and so I, I've yeah. actually built that into my businesses. You know, I, I'm getting out into nature is as important to me as negotiating a deal. And, it, yeah. you know, and, and to be honest, if, if, the, if I was due to go out into nature at 11 and I'm still negotiating the deal at two minutes to 11, I'm going out into nature. You're I'm done. not continuing yeah. the negotiation. It's that important to me. So, so, you know, to be able to tap into your intuition has been really important to me. And it's even more important as an entrepreneur because you don't, we, in the world we're living now, there's no time to call a meeting anymore. So you can't say, oh, we've got a problem, call a meeting, or here's an opportunity, mm. hire someone. You've got to, you've got to really be... Uh, spinning on the spot uh, with this new energy that we're working with this sort of feminine style energy and yeah. so you can see what happens to all the companies that can't figure that out you know all the circuit cities and the border books and everything male executive teams whose only response to to a problem is to say let's have a meeting and let's intellect this problem to death yeah Exactly. That. And the world's moved on and, and uh, you know, entrepreneurs now need to be able to trust their intuition. So part of what I write about and teach about in my courses is how to do that, how to, how to deepen your connection through nature to your intuition so that you can be confident. You can say, I know everyone says it should be red, but we're going with blue. Yeah. What's, oh, I love that. What's, what's maybe one tip that people can start to do to learn to follow their intuition better? Because I think Speaking of speaking of biographies, Steve Jobs mentions the same thing. You know, he mentions in Eastern philosophy, Eastern society, we're taught to strengthen our intuition and follow that first. And then we kind of clean up with the intellect. We clean up with that left brain. And in Western society, we're taught to lead with the intellect and almost kind of forego whatever's going on, um, you know, with our intuition. What's what's, you know, maybe one quick tip or anything like that that can get somebody started down this path? It's understanding what intuition feels like. This, this yeah. is the best tip I've got on intuition. And it's not what people expect. It feels calm. Yeah. When, when you decide to do something and you say, you know what, I've decided I'm going to fly to the moon tomorrow. And everybody else says, don't be crazy, you'll, you'll suffocate. But it feels right to you. It feels calm. Then your intuition is speaking for you. If you feel excited, that's not intuition. If you that's feel not worried, intuition. that's not intuition. No, it's very calm. You just kind of have a little wry smile to yourself and think, well, it doesn't matter what people think. This is what I'm going to do this. So it's, so it's, it's, it's to tap into that emotion is, is uh, where it's at. That's the frequency. That, that might be one of the most helpful tips I've ever heard around intuition because seriously, I, you know, I, I always tell people, we work with a lot of people that are very intuitive, spiritual, 
And one of the things that I always joke about is people that think they're spiritual and intuitive, but they're really not. And they, you know, they kind of, they, they blame the intuition for, you know, like, oh, I'm feeling resistance around this. Like, this isn't a good idea. This isn't a good idea. And the reality is they're actually just scared. Right. Yeah. And, and the truth, you can tell someone when it's, when it really is truth, when they're just like very calm and, and centered and collected. And it's, I don't know what it is, but this is truth. And I've never been able to explain it before, but that's all yeah, it is. Is I, I used to look in, in awe at, at my mother and my wife to say, how on earth do you know? <laughs> you know, and they would say, you know, they would say, that, that's a bad guy. Don't get into business with him. I'd say, how do you know you've never met him? I've worked with him. I know all about him. They say, no, yeah. not a good idea. How do you know? And I, so I always wanted to learn how to do that. I'm glad I found out. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. Um, so a couple quick, I, I think we've gotten a lot of good tips here. A couple quick questions that I just have for you. Uh, first one, obviously going back to, uh, you know, you mentioned you got a degree, you said you got an MBA as well. Um, if you were to go back to school, what's one thing that you wish you had learned? Uh, maybe aside, obviously this, I think this intuition thing is like one of the things that's sticking for me, but maybe besides that, is there anything that you wish you had been taught in school? Yes, I, I, I truly wish I had thought bigger. I've learned yeah. to think big and then think bigger again. So whatever I think, I'll add another zero and go yeah. for that. I, I, you know, you're taught in school that, you know, this is who you are and this is... I, I, I was offered, the career counselor offered me an, an apprentice manager's position in a chicken packing factory. That's how the world yeah. saw me when I was younger. And so, so I, I didn't want that for myself. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'm going to be an officer in the Royal Navy. And the whole world laughed at me. And yeah. made fun of me and thought I was a fool. And I pulled that off, and then I thought I should have gone bigger. And so I, ever since then, I've kind of gone bigger and bigger. But still, I, I still catch myself thinking too small sometimes. I think. Yeah. How do you? It, question for you around that one, just to dig a little bit deeper. I think one of the things, just like you mentioned, one of the reasons why I think a lot of people don't think bigger is because as soon as they do, they get this kind of social resistance. It, for you, was it just like a? You know, like screw you guys, you don't matter. Like, or or how do you fight through that? No, it knocked me back a lot, yeah. always. And so I learned from the biographies. So with my book, Three Simple Steps, the first step is all about that: how to protect your mentality, because it's mm. so easy to give to give it up for the approval of other people, not yeah. in spite of other people. So, so I, I you know, one of my favorite quotes is: "The true measure of freedom is to be independent of the good opinion of other people." And so if you can make a decision for yourself and go for it, regardless of whether people approve of it or not, then you have mentality. But a lot of, you know, we have to learn it again because, of course, it's, it's been kind of um, erased from most of us. We've lost our individualism. We've kind of become a product yeah. of our environment. And so as an entrepreneur, especially as a, as a one-man band, you really need to have control of your mentality and, and, and be, you know, be confident in your persona. So, so for me, that's the most important thing, mentality control. And there's lots of tools and techniques. I use techniques yeah. like the bell jar and stuff like that. I'm sure you've heard of all of these. No, I haven't. I want to hear about that one now. <laughs> oh, the bell jar was, so Seve Ballesteros, the golfer, that was, so it was created for him by Jack Black. Apparently this is the story. And I, again, I loved it, stole it. So yeah. <laughs> um, basically, best, I'm telling you right now, best plagiarist on the planet right here. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, he couldn't win a major, the Seve Ballesteros, because he was competing against Jack Nicholas, who was everybody's favorite. And, and so he figured out with this, this personal coach that um, when, when he's about to take the key shots, the key put or the, or the key, you know, the, the key tee shot towards the end, um, he would imagine this 
a glass bell jar descending from the heavens and covering him completely and everybody's hostility in the crowd bouncing off and turning to dust. Well, I thought that yeah. was wonderful I thought, because I was getting bullied at the time and called names and stuff like that. You yeah. know? And, so, and it bothered me and it made me feel low and worthless. And so I, I, I started wearing the bell jar at school and, and uh, oh. all of a sudden it didn't affect me anymore. And I imagined all the, t- and you know what, once I didn't respond to it, they'd left me alone and went off. They, the stopped, they stopped doing it. Yeah. So I've used the bell jar. I would never go into a, a meeting of any description without my bell jar on. And I, I call it the bell jar oh. technique. So if, you're, if anyone's interested, it's in three simple steps. Yeah. And, uh, Beautiful. I, Trevor, this is I, like, I could probably talk to you for hours and just keep pulling these likewise. amazing little pieces of wisdom out of here. But uh, I, I think um, I'd love to get people the three simple steps, the uh, the magic of the five-hour workday, you know, everything there. Where can people learn more about you and just get it from you directly? It's trevorgblake.com. Everything's there. I love it. So everybody, check out check out trevorgblake.com. Uh, Trevor, this has been phenomenal. My, um, all my proceeds go to cancer research and development, by the way. It's not for me. Uh, just just one more reason. Just one, You just had to give one more reason, man. Amazing, <laughs> brother. Thank you for joining the show. I really appreciate it, Trevor. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Appreciate the questions. Of course. All right. That's all we have for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. And if you did, please share this episode on your social media and tag at Xander Fryer. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star rating so you don't miss any other great episodes. We can only spread our message when you share this knowledge with the others that need it. So we really appreciate the support. Thanks a ton. 